0: Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. I do want to welcome all of you to our fall kickoff series as we're zoning in for school starting back and everybody's kind of calibrating their schedule after a great time off We are starting a new series entitled DNA, and I want to explain a little bit about that and what that is so you understand how it applies to your personal life. I want to welcome those watching by video as well as watching online. We're glad you're part of what God is doing in this moment together. Uh, Summertime is awesome because even though people are in and out on vacation, I know this, uh, historically many times in that transition season, A lot of you come and you check out uh, our church. Maybe you've moved to the area or for other reasons. And so uh, we're so glad you're here. And I believe this series is right on time uh, because I know a lot of you, again, checking out what God's doing here. And then I know this because on Palm Sunday, we moved into this new facility and uh, we've had so many new people. And you're asking the question, what drives this place? What is the things that you value? What, what is it all about? And so I think you're going to get a lot from this series. And then those of you part of the Milestone family, you can't hear enough about who God's created us To be. And so we're going to talk about some of those things. Um, I'm excited about what God's been doing this summer. Uh, We've had multiple mission trips and mission teams. I want to give a shout out to our next gen team. How many of you guys love our next gen team and what they do? We've had. 700 kids at VBS and we've had kids at kids camp and we've had middle school camp and we've had teenagers, hundreds of teenagers away at high school camp and we just love seeing what God does in their lives as they pull away and they have an opportunity to hear from him. And then if you're looking at what's coming up, this is a time of engagement And so you'll hear about things like our next internship, you'll hear about small groups kicking off, and uh, we want you to get plugged into that. We have a a, a thing we're excited about this fall is we're launching freedom groups, and love to have you get involved with some of those things. So you're going to be hearing about opportunities wherever you're at in your journey to take a next step, because that's what we value here at Milestone, is helping you take your next steps along the way. This idea of DNA is very powerful. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, verse 36, and we're going to look at a story in the life of Jesus. And yet, as you're thinking about DNA, you're like, what is that? Well, scientifically speaking, this is not going to be a series on science and the study of the human body or living things, but scientifically speaking, Uh, It it means deoxyribonucleic acid, and it literally is a genetic code. It is a complex genetic code, by the way. Very, very fascinating. In fact, if you were to take your DNA, your genetic code, and you begin to type it out and string it out, then it would literally, get this, it would literally go to the moon and back 6,000 times. It's very complex, very exhaustive, and many times very hard to understand. So it's like it's in there, it's who you are, and it expresses itself in many different ways. It's what makes you have blonde hair, brown hair, or no hair. Thank you, Jesus. Over my break, I kind of grew my sabbatical beard out and... Had Cool Whip right here in the end of it. It Looked like I just dipped it, just gray. How many people getting older? I even grew my hair out a little bit just to see, just to see what would happen. (laughs) And, And you know what? There was like 15 lone hairs right here on the top. And I thought, you know, nothing's changed. The DNA's still the same, okay? DNA is what's in there. And then that metaphor has been taken to discuss how to build great things. Because you see... God used our DNA to build us. It's the building blocks. He knew how to put each one of those individual blocks together to build you and to build me and to build things. And so that metaphor is taken to begin to think about how do you build a great life? I I see my role as a pastor. Yes, I communicate the Word of God, but if you want to know my core passion, it's to coach and develop and encourage people and inspire people to reach their potential in Christ, to be who God's called them to be. And so when we think about that, it's like how do you help people take the the important things in life, the things that God's building on, and take those pieces and put it together to build the life that God has for you, to build the marriage, to build the family, to build the business, to build a culture. A lot of times people are trying to understand that. It's like why do some people know how to put a culture together in a home or put a culture together in a business and find the right blocks and put it together and it's life-giving and it's transforming and some of us struggle. And we're like, I don't, I don't know what's important. I don't even know where to start. Well, in this series, I want to give you some things that I think are key building blocks To help you put some things together in your personal life and in your work life and in your family life, some DNA things. Now, I have a little DNA question that I've been thinking about. It doesn't have to do with human beings. It has to do with cats because I recently found out from a young couple in our church that are our friends, my youngest daughters, they're very, very excited about this young couple's new cat The cat's name is Gizmo. It's a teacup cat, and it has a certificate that says that it's hypoallergenic. It will not create allergic reactions, which my wife is allergic to cats, and that's given me a good excuse to never have one in Jesus' name. But I'm trying to understand how we genetically altered the cat. I mean, we not only have, you know, non-genetically altered foods and almond milk and all kinds of things that we eat, that we've even, we've even like sanitized the DNA of the cat. So the cat is hypoallergenic. And so my daughter said, they said, Dad, we need us a gizmo. I said, I don't think that's God. They said, well, well, look, mom will not be allergic to the cat because it's hypoallergenic. It's created it as a certificate. It doesn't have dandruff. I said, but girls, it's still a cat. In fact, my youngest said, dad, I said, she said, you know, we have an interesting relationship with this cat. that I, I just think it can't handle it. I love it too much and it just runs from me, okay? Look, the things that make a cat a cat are the reason we don't like cats, Okay. Now, some of you are dog people, and you're taking it a little far, too, because I saw a bumper sticker that said, I love my grand dog. <laughs> now, I began to think, what's a grand dog? Is a grand dog your kids having a dog, or is that your dog having a dog? What's a <laughs> grand dog? I think maybe it's just the grandparents saying, we, we, we want something to love. And if y'all aren't going to have some grandkids like a bunch of them, then I'm just going to say I love my granddog. They're trying to give you a message. But anyway, all right, that, that, we got to get to something spiritual here, okay? But DNA, it's interesting. It's, it's in there, and we can't really see it without technological devices, but it comes out of us. It's really who you are, and so if you're going to build something great and you take a holistic look at the Bible, I think if you're thinking about the building blocks, then you have to start here. If you say, Pastor, where do I start? I think DNA number one is people matter to God. I've given you some notes, and you can follow along with me. People matter to God. When we understand this, it changes our personal relationship with God, and it changes the way we see our world. It changes the way we see our friends. It changes the way we see our community. It changes the way we see our children. It changes the way we see everything when we understand people matter to God. Now, I told you to turn to Luke chapter 7, But I love always showing you the holistic look of the Bible, this this principle all the way through the Bible that we're communicating that people matter to God. If you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, currently scholars have been talking about this principle, big word, the anthropic principle, and that is this, that all of creation... The universe has been created with you and I in mind so that we can exist within that creation. Every bit of the complexities of it, which shows we have an intelligent designer God who's put this world together with you and I in mind. If you've never read the early pages of the Bible, it says God spoke the world into existence, let there be light. He starts creating and then he creates his prized possession. I want you to hear this. The pinnacle of creation. He creates human beings, for relationship, for fellowship, that he loves us very deeply. And so he creates us. In fact, I've been showing this to my youngest daughter. She, she prayed to uh, receive Christ at VBS, and uh, she's a little driven, and so she's, she's ready to get baptized. How many of you know when you really receive Jesus? You want to know what's my next step. It shouldn't be hard to say, hey, I want to get baptized. The faith of a child. Every time she sees that water image on the screen, she said, Dad, when am I going to get in that tank? I've been taking her through a little process, kind of helping her a little bit, discipling her a little bit. And so this is our little work together. We have a little binder. We're building our own discipleship material together. I get in my reading chair. She sits on the arm, and she and I talk about these things. By the way... You say, well, pastor, you're a pastor. You know the Bible. Look, we partner with you to help you with your children, but make no mistake, no matter how much you know, whatever you give them has much, much, much more power and influence in their lives than any Sunday school teacher can ever give them. So just learn with them. I don't even know if all this is theologically correct. I was making it up as I go. Come on now, y'all ever do that? And so we're just kind of making it up, and she's like talking about, she said, Dad, I know that story, so we kind of drew the garden, and there's my Adam and Eve, and then she said, Dad, what about the snake? Kind of looks like a walking stick, but anyway, that's my snake, and we're just kind of drawing it out together, but notice what I got to at the top is Adam and Eve lead to Jesus, because God loves us so much, we're separated from God, and what I'm talking to her about over here is this sin problem that separates us from God, but because Jesus For God, the verse she knows, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so what? Loved us. Because people matter to God, he made a way for us to have a relationship with him. That's the very beginning of the Bible. And then if we go to Jesus in Luke chapter 7, and I could take you to multiple stories of Jesus, spend some time looking at Jesus. Tell you what, Jesus is so powerful the way he related to people. He's so other, he's so just out of the box the way he would interact with up and out and down and out and disenfranchised and the way he spoke to people and the way he had concern for people. It's all the way through the Gospels when you see the life of Jesus. He emphasizes to us God's heart. People matter to God. Luke chapter 7 is just one little section it starts off with him talking to a centurion about faith. Now you may not get that, but the centurion was a person who was possessing and dominating and represented Roman rule and so that's a person outside. The very fact that the story says he interacts with him and talks to him and the centurion feels a little unworthy even to be interacting with him. And then you see the next story in Luke chapter 7. I'm just I'm getting to 36, but just the landscape. The next one is there's a funeral. And Jesus walks up to a funeral and the Bible says he sees the widow and he had compassion on her and he says to her, don't cry. Don't cry because he cares about what she's going through. I'm so glad that we worship a Jesus who was not somehow living in the clouds of spirituality and didn't really understand where people were. He said, don't cry. And then he performed a miracle. And then we have John the Baptist and they're saying, are you the one or should we expect someone else? And he said, you just go tell them that the lame walk and the blind see and the deaf hear and I, I'm, I'm involved in the plight and the pain of humanity. Luke seven thirty six, powerful story. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, He went to the Pharisees' house. Now, the Pharisees are generally the bad people. They're the the ones in the story. They're the religious leaders. And so that's also showing that Jesus himself would even go to the house of his critics. Today, all we would do is kind of fight back with an online narrative to to, to pound our critics, to convince our critics, to slam our critics. Jesus said, look, I'm going to go visit with my critics, Other. Reclined at the table, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume and she stood behind him at his feet weeping and she began to wet his feet with her tears, a radical display. Then she wiped them with her hair, she kissed them, she poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man, this Pharisee, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is and that she is a sinner. By the way, when you read the story, we can identify with a lot of the characters, but know this, in that definition, we're all the woman. We're all the one on the outside of Jesus. We're all the one who have participated and thought and done things that put us on the outside of having a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people, I love how Jesus will use a story, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. So he forgave both debts. Now which of them Will love him more. Which one will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. So, what is Jesus saying? At the proportionate level you understand how much you've been forgiven, how much you need Jesus, it's the same level that you reciprocate that love to God and to others. Simon replied to him and said, I suppose. And Jesus said, you've judged correctly. Then look what it says here. Then he turned to the woman and he said to this guy, do you see this woman? Do you see her? See, people matter to God. And your ability to even see people through the lens of God is greatly affected by your understanding of how much you matter to God, how much you are loved by God, how much you are forgiven by God, how grateful you are even to be in his presence. He says, do you see her? I preached in Los Angeles on Thursday night and after the service I went and shook hands with people which they're always amazed at that because the big speaker who doesn't just run off honestly my favorite part shaking hands with the people man that was it's just awesome by the way there's some eclectic people in Los Angeles I mean let's people matter to God but let me just there's some weird people okay let's just be honest okay a lot of fascinating people Line of people, I just stood out there and shook hands and I was just talking to people and then there was an African-American lady and you ever get that prompting from the Holy Spirit? See, I've heard these words from Jesus. Jeff, do you see this woman? That prompting? Hey, listen to it when you get it. I looked at her and I said, ma'am, I just feel like God's telling you he sees you. And your kids that you're concerned about, he he knows you're concerned about it. She just began to weep. Not, Not because of me, but because God can use the conduit of an imperfect vessel. Who sees her? Because he sees her. And then we prayed with her, and it was a moment for her. Why? Because now she's like, I'm still in the fight, but God sees me. He sees what's going on in my life. Do you see this woman? And then he goes on to say, I came into your house. And you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Pretty radical. By the way, I know this is a new church for a lot of you, and some of you are sitting around going, these people are kind of radical. I mean, there's people over there, you know. It's like, oh, uh, you know. Never underestimate when you see someone worship or how they love God. You don't know what they've been through. Be careful you're not the Pharisee going, "Um, that's a little uncomfortable, and don't you know they're a sinner? she's doing something radical, kissing his feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. And look at the word again, as her great love has shown. Because of this love that's been extended to her, she's showing great love. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. It could be said, the person who doesn't understand how much forgiveness they've received. They love little. They express little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. A powerful story. I'd like us to unpack it for just a little bit. I'd like us to take a deeper look into this DNA. I'd like us, we, we look at this story, it's, it's convicting, it's inspiring, but then I want us every week as we talk about the DNA, I want us to to, to really look at it because, again, it's down in there, it's deeper, and say, do I have that building block? Am I, am I bringing that building block into my life? I'd like us to take a deeper look at the distinctive. I'd like to tell you a story. I experienced this in the atmosphere of our church. I experienced it in my own life so many times. It's one of the things that I am so proud of you about is the way you see this woman. The way you see that young person who has parents who may not be here. The way you see people. People come here and they say it's friendly. But really, it's a, it's a deeper DNA. It's more than just being friendly. It's seeing people the way God sees them. It's saying they matter to God, so therefore they matter to me. It's the way you see people at your ball games, in your friendships, in your relationships. It's seeing the person who's checking you out at the gas station or the grocery store. It's seeing people the way God sees them. And I experience it a lot of times as a pastor. I recently, there's a man in our church named Alan. Last fall, he was barefoot water skiing with his kids, and not long after the first of the year turns, he finds out he has the debilitating disease called ALS. He's been a part of our church family. He came to Christ here. His wife had intellectual barriers toward Christ. She attended a funeral, and in a funeral, she was sitting there listening to the person talk about the person who had passed away, and she began to ask this question, what would people say of me? So she went on an exploration to find all the people that had life-giving atmospheres around their lives, DNA around their lives like that, and culture, and she began to ask them, what is it about you? And every single one of them, she found the key common denominator was they were followers of Jesus. They had been forgiven by Jesus, and so she gave her life to Christ. And then her father started attending, who had a lot of intellectual barriers And one weekend when I was preaching about sometimes with Jesus, you can't have everything figured out, you just got to take the leap, Clyde gave his life to Jesus. So they've been transformed here. And Alan, almost every single Saturday night since I can remember, has served on our usher team and served people and helped people and helped them get to their seat and told them they matter and encouraged people and led a team and served others. See, you'll learn something about why DNA is important because the way it works in the kingdom is what you make part of you and give away comes back to you a hundred times. And so now with ALS, I went to their home and I had to really, you know, kind of compose myself. Alan now can't, he can't talk, he can't move. He literally talked to me with a special computer screen that he looks at the letters with his eyes. And when it focuses, he could talk to me and he, he was still trying to use the equipment and and I just prayed with him and encouraged him. And, and then as I was getting ready to leave, I, I looked him in the face. And the thing about LS is you're totally there with all your cognitive abilities, but nothing in your muscular structure can function. And in his eyes, I could see in his eyes as I said, thank you, Alan, for serving people, for loving people. And we're going to take care of your family, and we're going to love your family. And you just saw tears well up in his eyes. and Amazing. But here's the thing I'm always overwhelmed by as I drove away. Karen, the whole time I was there, all she could talk about was, we're overwhelmed by our spiritual family and the way they've taken care of us. I hear that all the time. I, I know I'm going to hear it. I know it's true, but as a pastor, you're showing up just to pray, and you're just thinking, you know, how, is this family, you know? Are they and it's always the case. People are taking care of us. People are loving us. Why? Because people matter to God. But you understand also why people are taking care of them is because they've spent the last several years taking care of people. You reap what you sow. Let's look at this at a little deeper level. Number one, let's understand this distinctive. You hear the story, you look at Jesus, but you go, what do I, how do I really make this real in our lives? See, it has to be that there is a moment where it's not a cognitive understanding Jesus loves us, I love Jesus, it's not just we matter to Him, God says we're the pinnacle of His creation, but it's when you experience His love. When, when you experience the fact that He sees you and He loves you, I don't know when that has happened for you, but every time it happens, it changes you. I hear stories all the time of people who come to Milestone, come to a small group, interact with someone, and they, they, they ha- we have these we have these intellectual barriers. I've had it with people I've worked with in small groups in 101. There's these intellectual barriers because I don't want to be sold. I don't want to be duped. I mean, we almost, we almost predetermine that I'm not going to take the bait. You know, you're not going to preach me into this. It's like, okay, I get this. Okay, I know how this works. And so we predetermine and we block ourselves off from God. And everyone has intellectual questions. I have them. Look, Being a person who can help people is not about knowing all the answers. The highest thing is them seeing that they are loved by God, that people matter to God. I have questions, you know, like if you had powdered water, what would you add? I'm going to ask Jesus that one day. I I don't know. I mean, if you're driving at the speed of light and you turn your lights on, you know, what happens? I I don't know. Things that make you go, hmm, I I don't know. Could Jesus make a rock big enough that he couldn't move? I don't know. what happened to the dinosaurs? I don't know. Look, we can take an intellectual look at the Bible. There's answers, but the game changer is not when you get all your answers figured out. It's when you know that you're incomplete apart from the love of God, when he shows you how much he loves you. So that distinctive has to become a reality in your life. And it's harder today It's harder today. It's harder in our culture, the way we live. We're living with the baggage of our past. We're living with the guilt of the things we've thought, the things we've done, the things we've messed up. And the enemy uses all of that to keep us from experiencing God's love. Because the enemy knows that if we ever understand how loved we are by God, we will change. We will begin to do things far beyond what we ever thought. And so he keeps us in the baggage of our past, the baggage of our pain, the baggage of what we don't understand. And God, where were you? And you, if you love me, how did you let this happen to me? All of those questions. Let me tell you another one that gets us today is we live so much in the future. I have a little handheld device with my calendar on it. And it's amazing. I mean, there's, there's, it's always ringing to me about what I have next. And sometimes I do the crazy thing by swiping a little bit forward in the calendar. Y'all ever do this? It's just kind of have a planning session and you look out six months and go, ah, look at all that stuff I'm responsible for in six months from now. We live so much in the future. What's next? What's coming? What, what do I need? Nothing wrong with planning, but all of that can stop us from experiencing him in the moment feeling his love, knowing his love, knowing that we matter or recognizing someone else. Here's how you practically apply it in your life. You say, Jeff, okay, how do I make this real? What does it look like? How do I know if it's real in my life? How can you tell? Number one, the love of God leads you to repentance. If you've never had a moment of full surrender and you're finding yourself struggling with change, you haven't experienced the goodness of God. I hear people all the time, again, with intellectual barriers and struggles, and then they leave. I felt something. I experienced something. And what is that? It's the love of God. It's the goodness of God. And that goodness is what leads you to surrender your whole life to him. Here I am, God. You're so good. You've been so good to me. And it makes you just say, you know what? I trust you. Here's my whole life. The goodness of God leads you to repentance. Here's, here's another way you know if you have it in your life. One, you're changing. You're surrendering. You're finding yourself with an urge to go, God, I want to give you more. I want to. The second one is it constrains you. It's, it's what actually causes you to choose God's principles. Did you know God's principles are wise? They're the best they work. Some people today have this theory that, well, you're saying it's, it's love that we're focused on, and God loves us, and yes, we are, but love does not mean there are no boundaries. Well, if you love me, then you'll just say, do whatever. That's not God's plan. Look at this verse of scripture, for the grace of God has appeared, and it offers salvation to all people, and it teaches us to say no, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. The highest motivator to change, the highest lasting motivator to walk with God is not more rules and regulations, though God has rules and boundaries and regulations, but the way you interface with those is his love melts your desires for those things away. Because he's so good. You've tasted and seen the goodness of God and his love for you and what he has tastes so much better I've preached this for years. I believe it to be true when I holistically look at the Bible. The power to say no is how much you've interacted with the grace and love of God. But now I'm raising teenagers. Come on, parents. When they drive off in a motorized vehicle, you have no control over their decisions. How do they, in today's world, have the power to say no? Why do we invest in camps? Why do we invest in young people? Why do we pour into them, take them away, let them have a moment where Jesus talks to them? Because when Jesus talks to them and says, I have more for you, I love you, I'm better than this, they gain the power to say no. That's the only thing that lasts. It's the only lasting motivator. It's the only way. That you get constrained. But here's the next one that happens. When you experience that kind of dynamic change, that kind of dynamic freedom, it now compels you. It starts moving you forward. I love 2 Corinthians 5.14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. It's his love that compels us. You know, a lot of times in churches, it's like we need to love our community, show our community, we need to evangelize our community. We need to share with people about Jesus. So we do the two-question test. We do evangelism training. We do all this stuff. Look, but the highest motivator, the best training you can get is just to see the woman. Just see her. Just love her. Just show her that she's valued by God. That's the highest motivator. That's the thing that works. You don't want training. In it. You don't even want a message on, you need to evangelize your community. You've heard it before. You don't feel like you can do it. You feel inadequate. But I'm going to tell you what works all the time. I want to show you how much God loves you when you're in your painful moment. I want to show you how much you, are matter, you matter to God and how valued you are. That works every single time. How do you serve? How do you love? How do you give over and above? How do you do all that? You're like, these people, I don't understand. They want to give over and above. They want to serve. They want to be on a team. They want to help people find their seat. They want to give out welcome baskets. That's what we do here at Milestone. Continue to show our community that they are loved by God. And I'm not saying that other things are not important, but I want to tell you this, if you're new here and say, what drives this church? I have degrees in theology, and I think it's good to study God and to gain good theology. Things should be biblically sound. But let me tell you, we're not trying to unpackage and unwrap the greatest theologically controversial situation in the world today. That's not our main goal. We could baffle ourselves with that knowledge all day. We're not, again, I believe in good presentations and excellent presentation, but we're not trying to be the most creative, the most powerful, the best presentation. Thank God for worship. Thank God for preaching. Thank God for music. There's all kinds of things we could be doing, and there's all kinds of things that we do. But at the highest level, what we've chosen is if something suffers, One thing we don't want to suffer is showing people they matter to God. Showing people that they are loved by God. Why? Because it's the love of God that compels us. That's what moves you. I think about Ron Pease. Karen Pease is right here on the third row. Every time I talk about people matter to God in other churches and staff trainings, I always talk about Ron Pease. Some of you... I've never had the chance to meet him. He was a part of our church for many, many years. And when we moved in here on our dream team night and we're celebrating, I found Karen and she and I hugged and we're thinking about Ron's in heaven. He was so excited about this building and he loved people. He he loved people like nobody I've ever met. So I always think about people matter to God. I think about the teams that park people and greet people and love people. And when I was preparing for his funeral, a while back, I, she, she said, you know what? One thing that was non-negotiable with Ron is you got to be ready on Sunday. You better have your clothes laid out because we're not going to be late because i got to get to the front of that grocery store behind Taco Casa. See, we were doing this long before we had a nice building. And in that grocery store, he would stand there with his big smile and shake as many hands as he possibly could. Hug him, love him. He even gave the uncomfortable hug to me a lot of times. To this, I'm touch is not my high, you know, love language. Kind of like, what up, brother? You know. But he liked it. He'd come to me like, Pastor, g- give me one of those. Woo, okay. Why? He knew the love of God. The love of God was in him, so he, had to, he was compelled to show it to someone else. How do we live it together? We live it just that way. Every week in this DNA, I want to talk about how we live it together. We, we live it together by all of us. I want you to have this thought for a second. I've always had this what-if thought all the time. Not if one person, Ron Pease, not just that group that's taking care of Alan, Not not just these segmented stories that we tell all the time, not just our young leaders who pour into our young next generation young people, Not, not just the person parking cars, not just the people who take a welcome basket to every new family single person that enters our community where we say, we're glad you've arrived in our community and we're glad you're here and we love you. Not just those teams that put those baskets together, not just a select group of people who say, look, I I tithe out of obedience, but I give over and above because I'm compelled by the love of God to advance the cause of Christ in the earth. What if not just a few people my dream has always been, what if together we all embodied that? Well, I'm going to tell you, that is a powerful thought. You begin to see dynamic change. I always love showing you these stories, and this week's DNA is really all about this. Do you see this woman? Have you paused long enough? Are you too much in the past or too much in the future to pause, to experience his love right where you are, so much so, you see this other person? I want to show you Tom's story, and I want you to see the impact of this, of where he started and now where he is today. Watch this with me.
1: I let my past and my anger define me for so long. Like that's, that was my identity. I grew up in a pretty abusive, dysfunctional home. You know, it was tough as a kid. My mom had wished I'd never was born. And at some point in time, like I believed that. I'd say into my twenties was feeling like I was on my own and I was alone, like I had to figure if I if it had to be figured out I had to figure it out. there wasn't you know really anybody guiding me to where I needed to go how I needed to be what I needed to think about you know I had to do it all like I couldn't depend on anybody. It's been a long journey though. where I have tried to do things myself my way and it hasn't <laughs> it hasn't really always worked out internally like I was mad about things. I was really upset about things I was bound up. And so that anger and that unforgiveness has been something I've held on to. I knew that I wanted to be in church. I knew I wanted my family to be in church, but I didn't quite know what to do or what steps to take. I was at football practice, and... There's two other dads that uh, really we congregated every single practice. The two people that, that we were really hanging out, you know, every practice, they're both really devout Christians, and they invited me to Milestone. I went away from that practice thinking, yeah, I think that I want to try Milestone Church out. And You know, it's really all it took was showing up to realize that all the things that I had in my head as preconceived notions were just that. They were just notions and knew I was where I was supposed to be. Prepare 2017 was a series that was about spending a small amount of time, three days, devoting yourself to Christ and making Christ your highest priority. I remember Pastor Jeff was was on stage and he said, hey, listen. You're gonna have a lot of things that get in your way of doing this. Like you're gonna think that this isn't something you need to do or you don't have time or it's not convenient. You wanna push all those voices out and just do it. Through him saying that, that's something that I was gonna do no matter what happened. You know, through that was really where I got released from all that anger and being bound up to not being my burden and turn it over to Christ. I forgave my mom. Where I thought I was alone through all those years, um, Christ showed me that I wasn't. He told me I wasn't. He said, uh, "You're not alone now. You never were alone." I gave everything to Christ in that in that moment. Um, it wasn't just about forgiveness; it was about full surrender. Like I said, it's it's all you. I'm I can't do it my way. It's not working. It's not going to work. It's I trust you, and I want you to lead me where I'm going and where I need to go. So I dove in and got in a small group. I just want to help other people see they have value in God. I'm starting a small group at work. I've got eight people now, and it's, it's all newfound territory for me. Pretty exciting to look at, really embracing embracing more people, helping them realize they're not alone. Like God's with them all the time. God lives in them if they surrender their life to Christ.
0: Join me in saying thank you to Tom. I'm going to ask if you would just to bow your heads with me. And maybe online or here in the room, there's someone saying, I need to surrender like that. It's the goodness of God. When you hear that simple message that Jesus loved you so much that even while you're far away from him, bad things you've done. You may be that person even saying, look, I've got barriers and different things. And by God's grace, you can just take that leap, that jump, that step. You say, pastor, how do I do it? Well, it's really about your heart. It's not just my pastoral words. It's just you saying, Jesus, here I am, and I want you. I know you can love me like no success, no situation, no drug, no vacation. There's nothing out there, Jesus, that is better than you. And I understand you're what I'm missing. So I ask you to come into my life. I believe you died for me. Just say it to him between you and him. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. Come into my life and be my Jesus. If you prayed that prayer, I'm not going to embarrass you or make you stand, but you say... I just want to know who I prayed with. Say, Pastor, I prayed that with you, and I'm in it. Would you just slip your hand up if you say, I prayed that prayer? Thank you. Anyone else? Just lift it up. Thank you. It's great. Just by just lifting it up, it's you saying to God, here I am, Lord. And now I'm going to ask you, for those of you that lifted your hand, or even if you didn't have the courage, I'm going to ask you to take a step. We're having water baptism. We make it very clear. Our growth track steps 101 is your first step. Baptism is your first step. Take a step, because now you're born again. And here at Milestone, we're not just about reaching people. We're about building lives. We want to help you learn how to grow in that decision that you've made. Second of all, Lord, we ask that today we would leave here knowing how loved we are by you. And we would have that fuel that compels us. People matter to you. We matter to you. We are loved by you so deeply that we have an overflow of love to give to those around us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com.